As always, God, we recognize that we need your help to uh, understand your word. We need spiritual eyes to see. We recognize that we need hearts that are tender and soft and willing to be open to the nudges of your spirit. We realize that it's easy for us to remain closed to what you would say to us. And that we need the discipline of tuning in to your word. So help us in these moments. Help us to tune in to what you would say to us. Thank you for the, the miracle that you can speak to each one of us in, in different ways this morning. That your word to us is true for us all and yet unique and particular in its working out in our lives. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, still journeying our way through the book of Ezekiel. Hope uh, you've uh, picked up a few things about Ezekiel along the way so far. As ever, you can tweet away uh, using that hashtag and those mentions. You can catch up on everything uh, here and uh, particularly say that this morning because last Sunday we, we got to the guts, really, of what lies at the heart of the book. The reason that uh, God was doing what he was doing, the, the reason that he, he, he raised Ezekiel up as a prophet to speak into that particular situation. And so last Sunday helps us get a big handle on uh, the book of Ezekiel. So um, I'd urge you to be uh, connected with that if you haven't done so already. This week uh, is the title, Busted found out, discovered, exposed. Uh, and in that sense, it, it follows on from last week and, and has that uh, 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 side of, of God working in our lives that we choose to celebrate less often because it might be more painful and more awkward as God speaks into our lives. Uh, and we're going to use chapter 13 as a, as a kicking off point. But to be honest, the, the ideas that we'll, we'll talk about this morning are found all over these chapters in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is there, you'll remember, because uh, the people are being judged and uh, they have, have willfully, over an extended period of time, kept turning their back on God. And eventually, as we explored last week, God has said, enough is enough. I, I, I wouldn't be God to leave this carrying on. I, I wouldn't be doing right to leave this carrying on. It wouldn't be a loving thing to do, to leave this carrying on. And Ezekiel's message to the people in exile was that God's judgment was coming. And one of the reasons that Ezekiel's message was so important is that the people did not believe that God was going to judge them. They did not understand what was about to happen. In fact, they were sitting pretty on a very false set of confidences that their God would never do this to them. And so even though they were in exile, they thought that very quickly they would go back to Jerusalem. Very quickly the city and the temple would be uh, uh, rebuilt and, uh, and so on. That, that very quickly this difficult period in their lives would come to an end. They had a massive blind spot. God's never 
going to judge us. That's what they were saying. God will never do that to us. We are his people and we can be safe in that knowledge. And what Ezekiel goes uh, uh, to tell the people, I mean, he was, he was there in exile, but God raised him up as a prophet, was to tell the people that, yes, God's judgment was coming and that they needed to wake up to the reality of their spiritual poverty. They were in this massive denial. It was a bit like because they were carrying on doing the things that they should do, they were perhaps rocking up at the temple when they were back in Jerusalem. They were carrying on certain ordinances and certain rituals. And and they were believing that for as long as they kept doing those things, then everything would be fine. And they had this massive blind spot that for decade after decade, for century after century, as we heard last time, their wickedness and uh, lack of morality had been spiraling down and down and down. And we see in these uh, uh, lives, we see in these chapters, the, the devastating effect that blind spots in our lives can have. Their blind spot was cutting them off from the reality of God's presence and meant that they were just a shadow away from God's judgment and, that, and they were unaware of it. And we might say, well, that's a, a really stupid place to have found themselves in. But as we'll see as we go through these verses, it's a place we easily find ourselves in also. Ezekiel, in chapter 13, was addressing the false prophets And he's speaking to people that were going around peddling the idea that everything will be fine. We've got nothing to worry about. We've done nothing wrong. Our foundations are firm. Our spiritual walls of our lives are fine. And Ezekiel in chapter 13 is saying, no, that message, that false hope, that denial of the truth, that blind spot needs to be exposed. Let's jump in in verse uh, 3, if you've got it there in front of you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. There is something, in other words, Ezekiel saying, or the Lord saying through Ezekiel, there is something for them to see, but they are blind to it. They are caught out by what they couldn't see. Caught out by what they couldn't see. And this is a a really important part of uh, the message this morning. What are the things that we don't see that are in danger of catching us out? The people of God in Ezekiel's day were caught out in the extreme, rip large, because of things that they couldn't see. What things do I not see that are in danger of catching me out? Which leads us to verse 5, because they were caught out by what they ignored. What over an extended period of time they ignored, and if you ignore something long enough, you fail to see it. If you override your conscience for long enough, you fail to hear it. If you look at something and put it out of your mind long enough, then you can forget all about it. 
And here in verse 5, we have the illustration of a wall that was so familiar with them. Uh, You needed a strong wall where there were no breaches, no breaks in the wall in order to defend yourself. And everybody knew that you wouldn't leave breaches in a wall. You wouldn't leave a wall with broken holes and gaps in it at all. You would fix that. You would deal with that straight away because your whole livelihood depended upon it. And what Ezekiel is saying to the people, look, you've ignored the breaches, the holes, the gaps in your spiritual wall. And you've been ignoring those gaps in your spiritual wall for so long, you can no longer see that they are there. Because he's confident enough to say that if if you could see it, if you did realize that your spiritual life had big gaping holes in it, then you'd do something about it. But year on year on year on year, they'd ignored it. now they could no longer see it for themselves. You're ignoring things, you're not facing up to reality, and you're doing that at your peril. You've not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. So gather these two ideas together. This idea of uh, of ignoring something over an extended period of time, making you blind. Some, there are things there that you can now no longer see because you've chosen repeatedly not to look at them, not to address them, not to see them. And verse 10 gathers these things together uh, and you become caught out by the lie that you've come to believe. And that was the trouble. The trouble for God's people in this day was that they were about to be caught out by a lie that they had come to believe was the truth. You say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, you cover it with whitewash. In other words, you you keep saying, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. You've got your head in the sand. You're not looking, you're not saying, it's going to be fine, it's going to be peace, it's all going to turn out well, we don't need to worry. Uh, Jeremiah uh, was sent by God a little bit earlier to say exactly the same message and they didn't listen to him either. Jeremiah would say to them, look, you keep saying peace, peace and there is no peace. You keep kidding yourselves that everything's okay when really it isn't. Uh, And then you cover those things that you see with whitewash. Reminds you of some other verses. It reminds you of what Jesus said some many years later. You're like whitewashed tombs. There are things that are dead inside and you just cover it up with a bit of whitewash and pretend that it's all okay, that everything is well. Instead of acknowledging the flimsy wall, you ignore it and you hide away. And if you ignore it long enough, you end up being unable to see it. And your flimsy wall your broken down spiritual life that you keep covering up, you keep putting whitewash over it, you keep pretending it's not there, you keep living and reinforcing your blind spot, will catch you out. Ezekiel is sent by God to help them face up to something that they can no longer see. And it's a it's a really tough gig for Ezekiel because they couldn't see it. They weren't very willing and very ready to listen to what he had to say. There was comfort and security and safety in their denial. 
And can you see how it mirrors our own spiritual lives that over, over time there, there might be something we know is not quite right, but instead of dealing with it, we might cover it up with whitewash or we might ignore it for long enough. And after you ignore something for long enough, then maybe you no longer see it. And, 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 and he was challenging the people that after centuries of ignoring the reality of their spiritual poverty, it was now time to wake up or God's judgment would fall. We understand, don't we, the term blind spots. A, a blind spot is literally an, a, an eye disease or a condition where a, where a spot or area of your retina is damaged uh, uh, so, so that you can't see. You're blind. It's not that you can't see at all, but there are aspects of your sight where you are blinded. And we use that term in our, in our English kind of language to refer to areas of our lives where we, where, where there are things that are not quite right, but we can no longer see them, or maybe we've never seen them. Faults or habits or failings that we cannot see ourselves. And as Ezekiel causes those people in their day to face up to their blind spots, the reality for us as we take that word and we bring it into our day, into our situation, we're not in exile 3,000 years ago, miles away from Jerusalem. We are miles away from Jerusalem, but miles away from our homeland. But, but we face the same condition. With the same ease, we can develop blind spots in our lives. And they are very powerful. Blind spots are very powerful. And people have been caught out in all kinds of evil for years because of blind spots. Uh, and we tracked uh, last week that they'd become so familiar with the things that were wrong. They'd, they'd become so used to the corruption in the temple. They'd, they'd become so used to a morality that was spiraling down and down that they could no longer see it for themselves. And, and, and it's hard perhaps for us to imagine that they couldn't see what seems obvious to us as we look back over Israel's history. But blind spots are that powerful. It's why Christians who love Jesus have affairs and justify how right it is. He or she really understands me. It feels so right. We even pray together, but it's wrong. It's why pornography is a pandemic amongst Christians. What harm does it do? It helps me. My spouse is not as sexually compatible with me. It's why people can live two or more different lives in different contexts. We, we can become quite different people in different zones. It's why Christians can happily learn more and more about the Bible without actually changing their lifestyles so that we live significantly differently from those who are around us, our work colleagues and neighbours. It's why people can learn about religion and develop amazing understanding 
understandings about doctrine and theology, but still be cruel to their spouse or unloving to their neighbor or judgmental towards their friends. It's why the very people who say they want God and they want God's kingdom in their lives are often the very ones who find themselves standing in the way of Jesus. Remember the Pharisees and all the times they stood against Jesus, although they would say they wanted God and God's kingdom in their lives. Blind spots are very powerful. And before we get too high and mighty, before we uh, imagine that this message is really good for someone else, which might in itself be a blind spot, before we get to that, we need to acknowledge that we all have them. Blind spots are in all of us. King David, a man after God's own heart, had an incredible blind spot when it came to Bathsheba and his adultery with her and then the murder of Bathsheba's husband in order to cover up his crime. Here was someone who loved God, who played worship to God. But, but in those moments, in that zone, as the king, he believed his own press that he was above everybody else. And he developed for himself a blind spot. Turn to the person next to you and repeat with me as you look at them. I have blind spots. There are things about my life, say, that I can't see yet. It's not a place that we want to be. It's not a place that we want to be. And why are blind spots so serious? I think maybe one of the reasons that's so serious and it, it causes such havoc is that um, a, a lie, at least when you lie, you know it's a lie. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, I don't know with your parenting and whatever, but, but you know, lying seems to be such a, um, such a, a desperately dark thing. So much so, I guess, that the devil's called the father of lies. You know, you say to your children, you can tell me anything. I would way, way prefer the truth, however dark and sordid and horrible and ugly the truth might be, rather than a lie, wouldn't you? You'd always go for the truth over a lie. And yet the trouble with blind spots is that we so convince ourselves of our own lies that they become truth for us and we don't see them anymore. Blind spots are lives, are lies, sorry, that we live as truths. Or perhaps more straightforwardly, when we begin to justify in our lives the unjustifiable, the self-justification of our lives. There's nothing wrong with it. I can't see it anymore. 
And you can see how this operates in so many different ways. I'm so used to slightly twisting the truth that I no longer see anything wrong in it. I'm so used to letting my thought life run wild that I no longer feel guilty about it. I'm so used to shouting at at whoever it might be, my work colleagues, my my kids, my parents, my neighbor, whoever it is, that that I don't feel that that's unusual anymore. I'm so used to treating my parents with disrespect that that just seems a, a a normal, reasonable way to behave. I'm so used to not giving my tithe that I never give that a second thought anymore. I'm so used to blanking that person at work because because I blank them at work. And if you knew what they'd done to me, then you'd understand why I blank them at work and I justify myself. And I'm so used to not reading my Bible that I don't think that that's important anymore. And these have power in our lives and they shape the way that we behave and they, they take on a reality within us so that uh, a nation that loved God and served God and was supposed to be a light to other nations could go through a spiral of sickness and sin and disease, get taken by God to another country and they still go, we're fine actually, there's nothing wrong with us. That's how powerful these things are as they take root in our lives. You get the idea, ways of behavior, patterns and practices that become so true for us that we no longer see them as a lie Blind spots leave us weak and flimsy. Instead of walls there that are strong and robust, spiritual lives that are strong and healthy, we can have spiritual lives that are weak and hollow and are just kind of glossed over if we don't face up to our blind spots. And that's the story, rip large, of Ezekiel. Is that Ezekiel was saying to them, come on, you have to face up to the reality. You can't live in this denial anymore. Most of the people in Ezekiel's day said, no, we're quite happy in our denial. We're quite happy in our fog. We're quite happy not facing up to what you say, Ezekiel, is true. In fact, we don't even recognize, Ezekiel, that what you say is true. And later on in the book, Ezekiel was just, would, would end up saying, because while, while Ezekiel was there, Jerusalem did in fact get destroyed as, as Ezekiel predicted it would, and, and the temple smashed and the city devastated and so on. And Ezekiel had a say, look, God was just true to his word. True to his word. So what about us? How, how do we face up to our blind spots? How how do we face up to those things that perhaps we can't quite see? Well, first of all, by accepting that we have them. By accepting that we have them. You see, usually it's everybody else that's got blind spots. Because you can see everyone else's blind spot, can't you? Hello? You know the blind spots of the people that you live with. So you think in your house, you're the only one without blind spots, right? And let me let you into a secret. They think they're the only one in your house that hasn't got any blind spots. Because it's it's dead easy to see the blind spot in somebody else. It's dead easy to see the speck in someone. Ooh, someone said about a speck and a plank. Remember him, a speck. It's dead easy to see the speck. More easy to see the speck than to see your own plank. More easy to see a little blind spot in someone else than a big blind spot inside yourself. But what helps you grow as a Christian? What helps you become more like Jesus? What helps you build a spiritual wall that's strong and robust? 
getting more skilled at pointing out other people's blind spots? Or discovering one or two of your own? It's got to be the discovery of one or two of our own. Uh, And that begins with an acceptance that says, I have blind spots. And that can be a really big deal, especially if in your experience you've always been treated harshly or badly for mistakes that you've made. If you learn as a child that it's not very safe to admit where you've been wrong and that you've failed, then you bring that into your adult life and it makes it hard to accept. Because instinctively, emotionally, there's a, a trigger response of what will, of what will happen next. But we need to, to push through to, to find God's healing, to find God's peace. So that we don't end up spending most of our lives covering up. Some people have spent so much time and so much energy covering up that they have completely protected their lives against any possibility that they have ever done anything wrong. You might know people that by and large present to you like they've never, ever made a mistake. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, that person never, ever says sorry. Never, ever says sorry. But for most of us, we have a good measure of certain parts of our lives, but then there are still those blind spots, those areas of our lives where our measure, our calculation, our sane estimation of ourselves, as Paul writes to the Philippians, is still very screwed. I guess one of the ways as we begin to accept that we have them is to make an effort to avoid self-justification. When you find yourself in those spaces of self-justification, you are probably pretty close to your blind spot. When you are busy self-justifying, you are probably pretty close to one of your blind spots. Robert E. Lee was an American uh, general in the Civil War. And after the Battle of Gettysburg, um, it's always stuck in, in, in my mind. Uh, he, he, he was in charge and he sent his men, uh, uh, way too few men, into battle. And, and 12,500 of his own men were slaughtered within an hour. And this is what he said. A national leader. All this has been my fault. I asked more than my men than should have been asked of them. All this has been my fault. You can count on the number of fingers of one hand, probably, how many times you've heard national figures say that kind of thing. It was all, I mean, imagine the enormous courage in the face of so much suffering. It's all my fault. Dwight Eisenhower was the supreme commander of the Allied forces uh, when uh, D-Day, June 6th, and he wrote a letter in advance in case the battle failed. 
And he wrote his first draft, which he's since published. His first draft was full of a certain amount of, of euphemisms, kind of third, uh, um, uh, it, sorry, in the passive tense, uh, the, the troops were withdrawn and so on. And, and then he, he scrubs that and he puts it to one side and, and, he, and he writes something much more real. And at the end of it, this is what he writes, in advance of the D-Day landing, in case it all went uh, pear-shaped, if there is any blame or fault, it's mine and mine alone. If there's any blame or fault, it's mine and mine alone. These are rare and different national positions because our deep tendency is always to self-justify. When Eve was confronted in the garden, she blamed it on the snake. When Adam was confronted in the garden, he blamed it on Eve. And we've been blaming ever since. And that's what, that's what rises up most naturally within us. We might be in exile, but this isn't my fault. We didn't get ourselves here. You can come in with chocolate all over your face and still say, it wasn't you. Some of you clearly have. Something else I've observed about blind spots is uh, that our overreactions are, are often the most accurate indication of where our blind spots are. If you want to face up to your blind spots, then watch your overreactions. Look at this verse in, in Mark's gospel. Jesus is going about healing people. The kingdom of God is visibly coming, is visibly being demonstrated with people that are blind seeing, with people with leprosy getting healed and so on. It is what every person of God has longed for. It is what the pages of the Old Testament anticipate and speak about. It is the very thing that they've always been praying for and looking for. And the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the day, in response to Jesus healing someone on the Lord's day, the day to celebrate God's goodness and God's provision, is to go out and to plot to kill him. Is that an overreaction or what? And they couldn't see it. That's the power of blind spots in our lives. And overreactions are not just those times when we kind of shout out loud and make a big noise. Overreactions, depending on our personality, can happen just as easily and just as devastatingly within. We harbor attitudes and resentments. We harbor hurts and we make internal vows against people and, and situations. We overreact in our hearts. We've learned for our external lives not to betray us in that sense. Our natural instinct is to turn inward. But the overreaction is there in exactly the same kind of way. Watch your overreactions. And then I guess we get to the crux of what these verses are all about and what Ezekiel was longing for them to do, and that's to learn to listen, to listen to other people. Your blind spots are not a great mystery. 
Your blind spots are not hidden away somewhere so that no one knows anything about it. The people around you know what they are already. They're not a surprise to anybody else. And so again and again, the the, the Bible encourages us in our spiritual journey to have lifestyles that are open and honest enough to give and receive the truth about each other. And we see that brilliantly in Jesus. When Jesus called the disciples, he invited them to come and to be with him, to be close to him. He promised that he would be with them to the end of the age. He said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, that I'm, I, I'm with you and I believe in you and you can trust me and, and you, can, you can follow me and you can lay down your lives and, and it's all part of this purpose. So a, a, a really close friendship Jesus offered those disciples that they would spend the whole of their lives together. But what we tend to do in our culture is equate friendship and closeness with a certain level of dishonesty because we don't want to upset the friendship or hurt anybody. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So I can't say that because he or she is my friend. Sometimes because he or she is your friend, you must say that. Mustn't you? Sometimes because he or she is my spouse, you need to say that. Sometimes because he or she or they are friends, we need to listen when they take the courage to say something that's difficult. Now, there are some people in life that make that kind of relationship really difficult. There are people in life who have a PhD in criticizing others and bringing them down. They specialize in it. If there's a mistake or a fault, they're right in there straight away. And they love it. They can see a mistake from 3,000 yards. They'll point out it left, right and center, irrespective of who you are if you get in their way, because they are the mistake police. Ignore those people. They cause havoc in life, in community, in churches, in organizations, at work, everywhere. I'm not talking about that at all. A lot of people will have to answer for all kinds of careless words. I'm talking about people who are in relationship with you. Because Jesus was in such close relationship to Peter, when Peter got it wrong, Jesus could not turn away without telling Peter. Did it make Peter happy? No. Did it make Peter angry? Probably. Embarrassed? Yes. Awkward? Certainly. Did Peter still have things to learn? Absolutely. But Peter had a massive blind spot and he loved and Jesus loved him enough to walk with him through that blind spot. And we need those kind of relationships that are safe and secure enough that we might be able to be more honest with each other. That's the journey of community that the New Testament calls us into. You see, Jesus had just said to Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And Jesus says to you, I love you and I've laid down my life for you. He's invited us with a, with a 
biggest invitation we could ever possibly imagine. And therefore, he has the right to challenge us, to speak into our lives, to highlight things that we need to change. Who are you in relationship with enough to be honest at a more deeper level? Who are you in relationship with enough to be honest at a more deeper level? We all need those relationships. We all need the Ezekiels who will be willing to help us see our blind spots. In fact, I think that's what James is talking about here. Confess your sins, your faults, your failings to each other. It presupposes that there are relationships that are safe enough and secure enough in order for you to be honest, not just about your successes and your wins, but to be honest about your failures, your struggles, your sins, and your shortcomings. And in that context, we can help each other because each of us can see from a vantage point that the other person can't. Now, it's really hard to confess your sin to one another. And it's really painful sometimes for someone else to point out something that instinctively you know they might be right about, but you're not going to stop for a nanosecond to think about it just in case they are right. And it's not easy. Who wants to be, title of the sermon, busted, exposed? It's painful and it's hard. But what does the verse say? It's the fastest way to healing, to restoration, to salvation, to renewal. And just like with Ezekiel's guys, there's always that choice. And most of the people in Ezekiel's day refused to engage with him, were not prepared to have their blind spots exposed, were not prepared to move out of their place of denial, and the judgment of God fell. And there is that window, that opportunity of grace that says to us now today, will we choose to allow God to search our hearts? Will we choose to allow other people access enough to our lives so that they can help us see what is true about us? Or are we too busy reacting, defending, deflecting, ignoring, self-justifying? If we don't take responsibility now, the day will come, according to Ezekiel 13, The day will come when our whitewashed walls get exposed. And the interesting thing about that day is that the only person that really to whom they are exposed is ourselves. And you can see that in verse 12. This to me is like a taunt, a final taunt. Where is the whitewash you covered your wall with? That's what it's saying. Suddenly, the wall's fallen down, and you, the wall, is kind of surprised. I didn't expect my wall to fall down. But those that are looking on says, well, well, we could all see the whitewash. We could all see what was wrong with your wall. We're not surprised that it's fallen down. Can't you keep up the pretense anymore, tongue-in-cheek? No. 
We could see there was a blind spot you were covering. And so there's this encouragement to live in such a way that we seek the wisdom of God so often through the counsel of other people before it's too late, before our wall comes tumbling down in that area of our lives, before what everybody can see, we suddenly see for ourselves and are exposed in an unhelpful and in an awkward way. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash? When, 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 when your blind spot is exposed, will people not just say to you, didn't you know? That's obvious. We all knew that about you. Because that's already the truth. And it's why Paul could write to the Colossians and say, look, live this kind of way. Live in a way where you're open with one another. Live in a way where you're able to teach and admonish. You're able to speak into each other's lives. Because the relationship is real enough and strong enough that you can do that. And you can build something that has Christ at the center and seeks to remove every aspect of our lives that stands against his purpose that we might not yet be able to see. Facing our blind spots. Let's pray.